I started to think about ways to really increase that student voice and for me to talk a lot less so that they could talk more. And that, that's where it started. Welcome to Teaching to Chat Live. I'm Arthur Caravelli, co-founder of Teachers Going Gradeless. My guest today is Miriam Platinsky. Miriam is an author and instructional specialist who addresses challenges in both teaching and leading across schools with a wide range of differentiated needs. She's the author of Teach More, Hover Less, How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom, and Lead Like a Teacher, How to Elevate Expertise in Your School. Miriam is widely published in Education Week, Edutopia, Middleweb, The Teaching Channel, Ed Surge, K-12 Talk, and Education World. She is also a National Board Certified Teacher with additional certifications in administration and supervision. Welcome, Miriam. We're excited to have you. How has your week been? My week has been very busy, but very good. What about yours? My week has been crazy, um, but I think that I'm feeling pretty good about it right now. I'll just leave it at that. I think that this year is off to a better start than I think the last two years. So um, I'm happy about that. Yeah, you know, I would hope it would be off to a better start. We didn't exactly have the greatest last two years. So this Mm -hmm. one, let's just hope there are no more curveballs. That would be great. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Well, I really enjoyed your book, Teach More, Hover Less, How to Stop Micromanaging Your Classroom. Definitely could relate. Could you give us a thumbnail sketch of this book and what you hope to address in writing it? So essentially, I was hoping to address a challenge that I feel that all teachers at some point likely go through. Um, Now, I probably shouldn't say all because I'm not qualifying enough. So let's just say most, Mm -hmm. which is that we are so afraid of losing control over our classes that we really just do what I call helicoptering. We, Mm -hmm. We control every aspect bell to bell. So whatever the instructional period is, we are not really having agility or flexibility. And what happens as a result is that we lose student voice and student autonomy. Hmm. So initially I was very much like this as a teacher. And then um, it was, it was essentially an accident that I started teaching a course. It was a creative writing course that allowed students to make more choices and to have, have more say in how the learning progressed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't set out to teach it that way. That was a very organic thing that occurred. Yeah. But as a result, over the years, I would try to explain it to people because I left certain schools. I wouldn't teach it. I would try to explain it to the incoming teacher. And it just wasn't translating. Mm. And in addition, I was applying this hover free free method to other classes, you know, more curriculum driven classes, more standard classes. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I wasn't sure how to make that clear. So this book was born out of sketching out really a four step process to building that kind of classroom. Mm. And it could move sequentially, but it doesn't have to, these four stages. Right. And we're going to come back to those um, in a little bit. But, you know, one of the things I really like about the book is all the great illustrations. And and you use yourself as an illustration and some of your reminiscences of being a teacher and also being an instructional coach. Um, And I'm a huge fan of those stories. And and I think one of the things I've realized is, is that so many of the reasons people make these shifts in teaching or assessment or whatever aren't necessarily rooted in research or written in a book by some expert who hasn't seen the inside of a classroom in years. (laughs) It's it's really a human story and it's worked out in these human relationships. And I, I actually want to kind of like dwell on that moment where either as a teacher 
or as you know, and it's in your realm of being an instructional coach. Uh, can you remember an incident or time where you realize that tendency to hover is having a negative effect on teaching as well as student learning? It was really the wisdom of somebody who happened to be in my classroom that got me thinking about it. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the teachers, we usually share classrooms. We don't have a chance to have our own spaces. And there was a classroom conversation going on and students were doing what, what they do. They were trying to essentially create tangents for us to go mm. <laughs> and explore. And I used to think that tangents were all bad. You know, I, right. I, sh- I should just focus on what I'm supposed to be teaching. So mm. I did what I usually did. And I redirected the conversation into a pathway I thought was more ideal. And the conversation just petered out. Mm. And the colleague in the back of the room who was working there, just trying to get ready for the next class or whatever, was not trying to be critical. But when I walked by, I said, well, that energy just died. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh, my God, he's right. The energy just died. It's all it's gone. The kids were excited and now they're not. And it's true. They were excited about something that was a little different than what I was planning to do. But it was related because really there are two kinds of tangents. There are tangents that kids do to derail us on purpose. You know, they want to talk Mm -hmm. about our dogs or whatever and just do anything else besides what we're doing. But there are also a lot of tangents where they're just trying to make connections in their brains from what they're understanding and what we're saying. I guess the question I want to ask now is, is, especially in this moment, having been in a pandemic over the last two years, why is it important now for teachers to think about hover-free teaching? I think a big reason is because we've forgotten about it. And, and I have theories about why that is, not backed up by any specific research. But one thing that I noticed was that when we went on Zoom or whatever mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. tool you were using, the learning once again became teacher-directed a lot of the time. Mm. because you've got the teacher talking at the Zoom class. There are limited strategies you can use. You can't see the kids in front of you a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So the teacher was once again driving Mm. in a very overwhelming sort of way. And then we come back and everyone's distant. Everyone's wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Again, it's really hard to do student-centered learning when you're not connected Mm-hmm. in a more meaningful way. So a lot of people who were engaged in student-centered learning practices before the pandemic started doing, when I was uh, observing classes a lot in the year, I guess it would have been last year, saw more teacher-directed learning than ever before. It had mm-hmm. sort of made a comeback, I think an unintentional comeback. Mm-hmm. So the problem with it is that it's really not sustainable to be that 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 kind of presence in your classroom for a long period of time without feeling what that word we're hearing all the time. We're hearing burnout. We're hearing quiet quitting. Mm. We're hearing great resignation. These are all just different versions of people being tired. Mm. And I would argue that one of the things that we're realizing is that unless we figure out ways to, to give people a little bit more trust in sharing the burden with us or the joy, (laughs) really, it's, it's going to result in more of that, that negativity. It would be great to be able to, to flip that script. Yeah, I love that. And, and I think that your book does a really good job of doing that. I think you said sharing that burden or sharing that joy. Um, 
you know, you talk about how dominance over the classroom can can end up really really shutting down student learning and actually feeding into, in some cases, uh, bias, implicit bias. Um, you know, but on the flip side, I, I appreciated that you allude to uh, Lisa Delpit's notion of a warm demander, uh, realizing also that you know, recusing yourself from the role of teacher can also lead to inequitable outcomes. And I guess, you know, as you strike that balance and, and it's transitioning now, obviously we're not, we're not, many of us are sort of back into the building. And, and so some of those hopefully student centered or collaborative things can start happening again. Um, what's an example of how you balance those two sides. So on the one side, hover free, on the other side, you know, not entirely hands off that I'm that I'm still warm demand or that I'm still sort of like setting the table, so to speak, mm -hmm. for students. It was very interesting that you mentioned these these two perspectives, because when people hear about hover free teaching, they create dichotomies <laughs> yeah. in their minds. You know, it's an either or an or and and the word balance is the right one. So when we're we're being hover free, we're not doing it every day. Mm -hmm. We're not doing it every class period. So if mm -hmm. I'm going to give kids choices, not all the time. And the other thing that's not negotiable is the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So we're not changing what we teach. And that's the demander mm -hmm. part of, 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 of the warm demander. I, as the teacher, I am still the skillful leader of learning in my classroom. Mm -hmm. And it's my job to figure out what our learning outcomes are, to make sure they're standards aligned, that kids are learning what they are meant to be learning at grade level, mm -hmm. and that we're holding them to that expectation. At the same time, the how behind it, which is how much about being open to other avenues mm -hmm. of what comes up, as long as we stay within the bounds of what I'm supposed to be teaching, how much can I let kids do a little bit more? So if I have a project and I envision that it's being done in one way and a kid comes up to me and says, what if I do it this way instead? Mm -hmm. Is my knee-jerk response going to be no? Because I know that for me it was for many years. Yeah. Or am I going to say, you know, let's think about what the rationale behind doing it this way is. And if you can still learn the same thing by doing it your way, why not? Right. As long as it's rigorous, it meets all the standards that we're trying to meet. So that's what a warm demander is to me. It's, it's you are having that flexibility. You are listening to the students. You are being open. But at the same time, you're saying this is what we're learning. And sometimes I can't accommodate you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes this is the way we have to do it. You know, if this is a, a composition class, we have to write it down. I'm sorry. Like, I can't right. let you draw it right now. That's not that's not something that's an option on the table. But that balance of when I can, where I can, how I can make this better for you, I'm going to do that. Let's talk about some of the four stages of hover free hands off instruction. Uh, and again, we don't look at these necessarily as sequential, but can you briefly walk us through those and give us a sketch of how you feel they function together? Absolutely. So I started with, I mean, ideally, if you have time in the summer and you want to go sequentially, they were envisioned as a sort of progression. Having said that, when we're in the middle of a school year, you want to pick what works for you when it works. So I started with mindset, which mm -hmm. is how, how do we frame our beliefs around student learning. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of tools. And as you mentioned, this book is very heavy on tools mm -hmm. because 
I wanted teachers to be able to see the practical application and to use it right away. So things like I might be a micromanager if it's a self-assessment <laughs> or, a, you know, a mindset miss quiz just to get us thinking, you know, if, if I am the sort of teacher who can never be gone mm-hmm. because I'm afraid of what's going to happen, the kids, what they're going to do if I'm not in front of them, that might be a sign that I'm controlling too much. Mm-hmm. So it's really to, to increase that reflective capacity to think about, what we do when we work with kids. So if you have time to do that one first, that's great because it's, it's a lot of that, that self analysis. Mm -hmm. And then we move into building or reframing more trusting relationships. And for this, this is my, my favorite chapter. In fact, I'm, I'm writing a whole new book. That's that partially bridges off of this because we talk a lot in education about building rapport with kids and making Mm -hmm. sure we have strong relationships with them. But we don't think about what kind of relationships Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to know kids and who they are and to understand their personal quirks. But have we created a classroom environment where they trust us to validate them as learners Mm. so that their ideas are prioritized and their thoughts. And we're not somehow dismissing that piece of who they are. And they're seeing them, they're seeing themselves and and their identities um, openings for that as as how they can show up as scientists or writers or historians or whatever it may be that's exactly. that's a pretty important thing for them to be able to try that on and not just be appreciated for their weird idiosyncrasies or quirks or whatever but also wow you know you you could um you know you could find an authentic expression of yourself within what it is we're doing here, something along those lines. Exactly. And then you won't feel like our relationship is limited to just talking about football. Right. Or whatever it is that we do. So I would argue that's one of the most important parts of having this kind of a classroom, because if a kid ever feels as though they're being shut down in your room, or they've had experiences in the past, which are not positive ones, and you validate that somehow by not listening to them or thinking about them as a scholar. Mm Mm-hmm. That causes all kinds of, and you'll never know, by the way, most right. of the time kids will never express this, but that limits what will happen in the classroom. That explains a lot of the stereotypes we have, the quiet kid, the kid right. who always tries to make him or herself invisible, that kind of thing. Right. So that's, that's the, that's the second stage. And the third is what I call planning for engagement, which is how we pull students into the process of planning our lessons. And I'm not saying that kids plan the content. Uh, but we use what they tell us to inform our next steps and to see how they best learn. So before I start a new unit, I have a, a tool in the book where we first ask them what they know about it. We're about mm. to start this. What do you associate with it? What have you heard before? What did we do in our previous unit that was helpful? What wasn't so helpful? And we just use what they tell us. And we're also very transparent with them. You know, we'll say, oh, you, you told me that small group learning doesn't really work for you. So... Right here's what I'm going to do instead, or here's what we're going to, we're going to keep doing it a little bit, but here's why. And so they know that whatever decisions you're making, you are listening to them, but they're just not going to the, the great feedback void of the Google form or whatever, right? because that's not helpful. And that gives them more interest in sharing ideas with you in the future. And again, it's trust. If, if you say that you're going to listen to them and then you show that you do, they trust you. Right. And finally, the, the last stage is choice-based instruction, which is, very much along the lines of what I said earlier, where you can give them choices. So you might not be able to have every day be station rotations and you know pick and choose your own adventure. But a couple days a week, perhaps students could decide 
if they have a certain number of tasks they have to do, what they would do first, what they would do second. Let mm-hmm. them let them make these decisions because we as adults enjoy doing the same thing and it helps us work better. Right. Well, you know, and one of the things that I think that a lot of people struggle with when they open the door to something a little bit more project-based or a little bit more collaborative like a, like a discussion is the role that grading plays. And of course, you know that we're not teachers going hoverless, we're teachers going gradeless. Um, I do think that that begins, there's, there's a connection there. Because as you open that door to, to co- the complexity, admittedly, much more complex to really be able to parse out who's contributing what. And I'm wondering, do you see a connection there in terms of how does grading encourage a culture of hovering? I think there's a very strong connection because from a philosophical perspective, we're talking about structures that were intended for one thing and then become misapplied. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of teachers and a lot of schools, grading is about compliance mm-hmm. and it's about behavior. So we're not actually grading learning acquisition. We're grading what kids are doing. We're grading things like motivation, participation, attendance. And right. when kids see that happen, they don't think a grade means anything anymore. Because, you know, suppose I go to class and I learn something, but then I get dinged for not speaking. Well, I right. guess my grade doesn't mean that I know anything. And so they don't trust the grades become about them, not about what they're learning. And right. it's supposed to be the opposite. It's supposed to be an objective measure of where a child is in relation to a specific standard of learning. Mm-hmm. So when we think about how grades encourage a culture of hovering, it's, it's really the fear on the part of the teacher that if they're not assigning some sort of consequence, that kids won't do it. And I can't tell you how many times in my career I've heard this. Mm-hmm. If I don't give this for a grade, because I, you know, I would talk to teachers who have 50 grades in a grade book in mm-hmm. week three. <laughs> you right. know, and, but if I don't, if I don't grade it, they won't do it. Well, then what's happening in the culture of your classroom? For that right. to be the case, you know, what what does feedback mean? Is is do students not value feedback the way that you're giving it to them? Because Honestly, we confuse three things, feedback, grading, sorry, feedback, guidance, and evaluation. Mm. Feedback means if you're going 30 miles an hour and the speed limit is 25, you are objectively over the speed limit. That's your feedback. Right. Guidance is perhaps you might want to take your foot off the pedal a little bit Mm. to go slower. And then evaluation is here's your ticket. Right. So or, we, or you didn't pass the driver's test. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> so we are conflating all these things. And the culture of hovering, you are really relying on this grading system to do the management for you. Mm. And grades should never be about classroom management. one or two steps that a teacher could take uh, immediately to hover less in the classroom? I'm going to model my hover-free strategy here and say (laughs) that if I'm, and this is how I read books, incidentally, is I, especially books on practice, is I will page through and wait to see something that appeals to me. Yeah. 
So what I would encourage anyone in the middle of a school year to do is to to do really that. So I had someone email me a week ago because they saw there's a list of strategies to build deeper relationships and some flexible activator ideas that are in that mm. second stage. And yeah. they were asking about how to apply it in, in a certain situation. So that's what they were doing. They were really saying, oh, you know, I see that you have this activity here, uh, this what if question where students bring from a what if question. Right. Uh, and how, how would I apply that in my content area? And so we had a nice little back and forth about that and talked about it. Yeah. So I would say pull out a tool that you could literally take to either your teaching team or that you could do on your own and try it with your class. See what happens. Because that's the most accessible way to use a book like this. And that's also why I wanted it to be so heavy on the tools because someone said to me, and I I don't think this is always the case, but someone said that that education books are very often very theoretical. Right. So can I have one where I just pick something up and move it into my room? That, That was the goal. Well, Miriam, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you and what are some of the things that are coming up for you in the near future? Well, people can find me on my website, which is my first and last name together, miriamplotinsky.com. I'm also, of all the social media sites, I would say I'm probably best at Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's at Mirplo, M-I-R-P-L-O-M-C-P-S. So that's my Twitter handle. And as for things that are coming up, a lot of exciting things. Uh, Lead Like a Teacher, my second book, is coming out uh, in March, end of March of 2023. It's available for pre-order pretty much everywhere, although Amazon is usually the place that people go first. Mm. And I also just started writing my third book. So we're, we're looking at late 2023 for that. And as I said, it builds on that idea of student identity and how we really help foster something that can last beyond a classroom and into their whole lives. So that's that's book number three. And uh, yeah, I always have little little articles and whatnot coming out just just to keep things exciting. Awesome. And we'll try to link a lot of those in the show notes. But Miriam, it's been a delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of TG2Chat Live. You can find more great content on our website, teachersgoinggradeless.com, on Twitter at TG2Chat, or on Facebook at Teachers Going Gradeless. If you enjoy this content, please consider supporting our efforts by becoming a 2G2 member. Go to patreon.com slash gradeless and choose your level of support. At this time, we would like to thank new members, Sybil Preeb, Mike McAteer, Chris Sarkanak, Ken O'Connor, Nolan Fossum, Brennan Caberhill, and the Human Restoration Project for their gracious support. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you next time for the next installment of TG2 Chat Live.